Welcome to Legal Design Podcast. We are your hosts Nina Toivonen and Henna Tolvanen. This week we meet the lovely and energetic Maya Markovic, who is a spokesperson and innovation leader for Justice Tech. We concentrate on access to justice and how technology can be part of the solution. But because this is more of a systemic problem, we also need to do a lot more. Maya explains the current situation in Justice Tech, and we make wish for all the different kinds of lawyers to join forces and work together. Tune in to hear what Maya thinks about the rise of AI-based legal tools and the Finnish sauna. Hello, it is so wonderful to be here. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so it's an honor to be here, and I love you too. Um, I would, uh, no, likewise. <laughs> Thank you. I, I miss all our. I miss our in person. Uh, our in person meetings, but um, I. It's it's wonderful to be here. I have an academic background in uh, behavioral science and academic, and uh, the academic side of organizational psychology uh, that initially led me to. Uh, change management consulting in technology, which I did for a few years before deciding to go back to law school um, and practice law for several years. And from there, um, I realized that technology was where we would have to go um, uh, as an industry, but how difficult it would be um, just yeah. with the with the with the human side of the change. Um, and so then from there, I. I jumped into product management um, at um, a, a few different uh, legal tech companies. And then I worked uh, for almost six years at Next Law Labs, which was the first innovation, uh, tech-focused innovation catalyst founded by a law firm um, back in 2015. Um, and I'm currently uh, working with Village Capital as their justice tech executive in residence to help them build and bring awareness to and mobilize capital into the justice tech sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, right now we're working on, uh, we just finished the first justice tech focused accelerator program uh, with 10 companies. Uh, and then um, I'm all, and now we're working on uh, community building uh, for 2023. Mm-hmm. And for, J- uh, for Justice Technology Association, I am the executive director. Uh, we founded it uh, last year as a nonprofit trade organization focused primarily on um, supporting business to consumer justice tech companies and nonprofits. So that turned out to be perfect timing as there's this year, there's been a lot more attention focused on the social impact side of legal Mm. innovation. Sounds great. Welcome. Great to have you. Welcome, Maya. So lovely to have you join us. Um, Before we go to the actual topic of our discussion today, which is, of course, legal tech and access to justice, um, we'd like to ask you something a bit more personal about your recent experiences as a Finn. Uh, (laughs) You and your family participated in the 90 Days as a Finn program and lived in Helsinki for a while. Uh, How would you summarize your experiences and did you get a perspective into what's really going on with legal design and legal tech in Finland? And can you reveal us that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you you two were uh, incredibly instrumental in introducing me to so ma- so much of what's going on there. I mean, there's so much going on in Helsinki. It's fantastic. I mean, the the city has so many startup incubators and support for and so much support for entrepreneurs. The 90 Day Fin program is designed to bring innovators 
and entrepreneurs and business-minded folks to the city to experience life in Helsinki. Um, and the experience, the quality of life is of course wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, even during the winter, I know you might Oops, disagree, yeah. but <laughs> um, uh, it was also, you know, a wonderful experience for my entire family. And we're hoping to come back uh, as soon as possible. So um, I believe uh, with respect to legal tech and, and legal design, I really believe that there's still, you know, there's a lot, a, a mm-hmm. lot of activity. Um, there's the legal design breakfasts that we were going to uh, that were very well attended. Um, there are you know, Slack groups, there are in-person meetups, there's um, the Legal Design Summit, of course, that's coming up mm-hmm. in September and a huge community around that. I think there, there's still, I think there's still a lot of opportunity, which is very mm-hmm. exciting to me, um, to connect the various threads around human-centered design in this area. So Mm -hmm. for example, I'm a mentor at um, the Social Impact Incubator, Tremor, Mm -hmm. the university. And Justice 4.0 just happens to be one of the startups um, in the legal tech and justice tech space. So it seems kind of logical to bring these threads. That's just one example. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. so much. I've spoken to, you know, lots of attorneys in the the city and and they're very forward thinking um, in terms of the human side of adoption and implementation um, in many situations. But in general, I feel like it's logical and very, I think there's just still so much um, opportunity to bring these these Mm -hmm. threads together with design and potentially, Nina, your work in Helsinki, along with the resources that are available here for a bigger impact and just more focus on human-centered design in the legal sphere in action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great to hear that. Your perspective (laughs) into this, because we are kind of inside the bubble and a bit biased to say. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have (laughs) that feeling. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard to tear myself away. Uh, But so I'm still maintaining all of my connections and and we'll be back soon, hopefully in September. Yeah. (laughs) So as we discussed earlier, today's topic is justice tech. So let's move on to that. Firstly, what is justice tech? Yeah, so um, I think there are a few sort of different definitions, what I, which I believe are pretty complementary. So at Justice Tech Association, we define it as innovative technology that is designed to improve access to legal rights yeah. or improve, improve outcomes for justice technology, justice-involved individuals, or more equitably administer a legal system. So technology that helps people navigate these legal matters and meaningfully better their lives. Um, Village Capital defines it slightly different differently as technology-enabled innovation that supports people affected by the criminal and civil justice system and their families and the organizations that serve them and their communities. So this is a slightly broader definition um, that yeah. encompasses things like um, startups addressing things like the cost of phone calls from prison or a platform mm-hmm. like Paladin, which streamlines the supply and demand of pro bono opportunities for lawyers and companies that help kind of re-entering citizens build back up their credit scores. Um, but the common thread is the commitment to ensuring that it centers communi- community benefit and consumer benefit. Um, we have a comprehensive code of ethics at JTA um, just to cover just that. And so, but what it what Justice Tech is not um, is important to also mention. And that is, as this newly minted vertical gains momentum, it's really imperative to ensure that justice tech is viewed as synonymous with positive social impact and centers the user 
rather than let the moniker be co-opted by companies that might inflict community harm under the guise of a hot new sector. Right. Um, and then secondly, and I don't mean this as a critique, but I would love to hear your opinion on it, Maya. Uh, what do you think? Do we need all the specific terms for different kinds of technology that is used in the legal industry by lawyers and their clients? Because um, actually this thought came up last week. I was speaking in an event and the audience, um, they were actually great. But they asked a question um, about, like, do we need legal tech? Should we just call it technology? So do we need legal tech? Do we need justice tech? Or should we just call it technology? That's an excellent question. And I love the question that was asked um, in your event last week, because indeed, I mean, it really just depends um, on who you're talking to, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you, you need... <laughs> Definitely, I think you need legal tech as a as a term because you need to differentiate it from fintech or ad tech mm. or ed tech or gov tech. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. just just sort of a slight slightly narrower um, definition of you know when you're really talking about who the users are of. It, it, I think that that kind of helps to it kind of helps to center a conversation yeah. or or questions around who who is actually being most impacted by the or or who the who the potential target market is. With respect to justice tech, I will say that um, this is a conversation uh, that is going on uh, in the UK quite a bit with their Law Tech UK panel um, as they're bringing on more access to justice focus um, this year. And okay. what's interesting there is that um, they, they have a similar question, which is, you know, is that the right term? I would yeah. say justice tech is a term that has been coined to identify primarily, I mean, you can look at it one of two ways. It's either social impact focused, just the uh, legal tech, um, yeah. or it is consumer centric legal tech. So it's not meant for law to help lawyers do mm. their jobs better necessarily. Yeah. It's meant it's, it's, it's focused on the consumer as the, as the user. And and doing it uh, to get more access to their rights and to their yeah. um, and and to the and to the and navigate a, a more just system because you can never have enough. There will never be enough lawyers to fill all the need uh, for people who need access to legal services and, and can't yeah. afford. So the technology is is of justice tech is really focused in my mind is focused on addressing the, the access to justice gap. Yeah. You, Maya, have a profound understanding and experience about justice tech. Uh, do you have maybe some uh, practical examples about some solutions, products, software, platforms, whatever, that have succeeded to hit their target and really solve an issue of access to justice from this perspective you, maybe you just you described? Um, yeah, oh, there are so many. Um, yeah, <laughs> I will say, um, what are your favorite ones? <laughs> oh, that's like picking your favorite child. I could never <laughs> yeah. do that. Um, but um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, so so the first thing to note is that it's early days for all of these companies. Um, so they are, um, and 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 one also thing, one thing to note as well is that um, justice tech has a unique 
<clears throat> challenge and a unique opportunity. Because as we know, uh, quite often, um, tools, solutions that are um, the, the most successful solutions are those that are typically built by people who have lived experience with the problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and at the very least need to center that center, center those lived experiences in the design and development and the building of those of those solutions and those and those companies. However, in the justice tech space, the challenge is that most often those with the lived experience with inequity are also those who are the most underrepresented uh, in terms of uh, most underrepresented groups in terms of startup funding. So, uh, you know, they get anywhere from, you know, 0.3 to 2% of all funding yeah. um, year, year over year. So, um, so they are, you know, they are out there in the early, in the early stages of, of their, and, and also of course, right now, raising money and growing, growing companies is, is tricky. So, so like all that to say, there's very early days for these companies. However, at Justice Tech Association, we have um, nearly 40 members um, within just a year of, of, of our founding. And That's I think, each, yeah, they're all in various stages of, um, of, uh, but they're all fairly early stage. I mean, if you were to characterize them. So if they've succeeded to hit their targets, uh, you know, and solve an issue, I don't think actually, I'm not positive that that'll ever totally happen, but whether they're making a significant impact, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so a couple of examples, um, easy expunctions uh, is a, is a do it yourself platform that creates that leverages technology to assure that their customers have streamlined and cost-effective solution to clear their criminal records if they're mm -hmm. eligible. And this can have very significant downstream effects, of course, in terms of finding employment, mm -hmm. finding um, a, a housing, finding, yeah. Yeah. finding their community, re-engaging mm -hmm. their community, that kind of thing. So they're informing and empowering people that are interacting with the criminal justice system there. Uh, another one is courtroom five. Uh, and and by the way, Easy Expunctions and Courtroom Five were both uh, founding members of JTA. Mm -hmm. uh, Courtroom Five offers a low-cost AI-driven service that helps people represent themselves in complex civil cases. So users kind of learn the litigation process. It empowers them to do it themselves. Um, how to analyze the elements of claims and defenses, make good decisions on what to file at each step. And, and figure out how to draft the legal documents that they need to uh, draft within, with, you know, with, throughout the course of their cases. Um, and then on a very different note, um, Fresh is a kind of a next generation justice tech company that's focused also on the criminal justice impact community, providing a centralized marketplace for employment, banking and credit, services, housing, and more. So there's a, a broad uh, a broad spectrum, um, but they these those companies and, and so many others are doing just great mm. work and, and and growing quickly. You mentioned um, AI and and how these um, startups are using AI based tools. So maybe we could focus on that topic uh, <clears throat> a bit as well. Um, the latest development of OpenAI has raised, uh, we could say again, the question of how and whether um, 
artificial intelligence will impact the legal profession. And as we've all read the Goldman Sachs economists' estimation uh, uh, in their recent research report that as much as 44% of legal work could be automated with the help of generative AI tools. And while many celebrate this development from, from the viewpoint of access to justice, uh, especially um, ma making cheaper and, and free online legal services uh, available to bigger audiences, uh, especially to special target groups who have not previously had the chance to buy legal services before. Um, there's also this argument that AI-based legal tools would not necessarily solve the issue of access to justice, but would potentially even make it more challenging for these vulnerable groups to access real legal help. Uh, and and some of these arguments are based on esti on estimation that law firms would price their services even higher after the release of these AI lawyers, and that legal help could become like a luxury service available for the rich minority. And and as I read this discussion, uh, I think the underlying argument is that that. The problems of access to justice are not technological as in as such, but systemic, and that technology is not the ne necessary solution to the to the access to justice issues. What is your perspective on this, Maya? Well, fundamentally, the access to justice crisis is not a problem of access to technology. It's a problem. It's a structural problem, um, mm -hmm. and and so where where technology comes in is to try to fill the gap uh, in whatever way possible. Um, I really hope that lawyers don't start pricing their, <laughs> their, their, yeah. their services even higher. I mean, there, there's so many good questions in there. So I think that, um, so there are a few use cases where I think AI would be valuable. Um, content generation, um, prediction, kind of helping people understand the likelihood of a particular outcome, um, analysis and extraction, and translation and simplification of complex text into plain language and layout and that kind of thing. So summarizing um, a, an opinion, tailoring it to a particular reading level, like a non-lawyer <laughs> reading level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, like translating legal help guides into other languages, that kind of thing. So, so I, I think it, so a few things, first of all, I feel that, I mean, there are free AI tools, right? I mean, you don't, you, indeed you can pay for uh, open AI, but you can also go to Bing and just use an AI tool. And I think mm -hmm. that the, in, there's a big, there's a big debate going on right now, um, and I'm not sure, I, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to, <laughs> I'm in a wait and see mode um, as to whether or not, um, you know, some people feel that, uh, you know, on one side of the argument, as you say, you need kind of the trusted human intermediary mm -hmm. uh, so that people aren't just, you know, thrown the crumbs yep. of, 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 you know, random uh, assistance and said, that's good enough if you can't, if you can't afford it. Yeah. On the other side, um, and I and I really do see both sides of this is the, you know, is the view that that is actually quite a paternal paternalistic perspective mm -hmm. and that we don't give consumers enough credit. 
Um, and then there's on, overlaid on, on both of those is the fact that the need is so desperate that people are going to use it no matter what, um, because they, because the, you know, the, the, the horse has already left the barn. Yeah. This is going to be something that is used. So one thing that is incredibly relevant is discussions around things like metrics, standards, benchmarks, you know, what are the mm -hmm. specific indicators? How can we, you know, can we set up guidelines or strategies for non-attorneys to be sort of these trusted intermediaries to responsibly use the technology to its full capability? Can we, you know, can we make sure that we're not um, widening the gap exactly as you say, Nina? I mean, there mm -hmm. are a lot of risks and worries around this, you know, I mean, you know, the providers are sitting on a lot of confidential data and they want to use yeah. the tool. They want it. They need to be sure the data they pull from won't be used in any public facing agents. Um, you know, the, 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 where I'm, where I'm beginning to come to on this is that the access to justice community needs to train our own models on our own trusted data. So if the public came there, they'd at least have some ability to trust the mm -hmm. sources, the accuracy yeah. of the answers and content. There's yeah. a big opportunity, um, but I, I think kind of the hand wringing um, is, 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 it's too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You need yeah. to figure out the right way to, to incorporate technology into access to justice, mm -hmm. um, into ameliorating that, the, the crisis that we're in. Now, and I also would like to say that I don't feel that technology is the only solution. In mm -hmm. fact, there's no way it could yeah. possibly be. Mm -hmm. um, we need we need to all work together um, to, to, to improve the situation. I mean, everything from, you know, regulatory reform advocacy to, um, you know, figuring out how um, to better support legal aid organizations to um, supporting more pro bono. I mean, there's no one solution. Um, and the bottom line is we really need to focus on centering the user in the solutions that we're designing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, somebody will do it anyway. So, <laughs> and I'm kind of frustrated sometimes in this discussion inside the legal bubble, like AI will steal our jobs. And, and there is kind of this nervousness around this. And then some, some lawyers kind of feel reluctant to even discuss it or take like a positive proactive approach to it, because that's actually yeah. what is needed in order to safeguard that it's safe and it's legally, uh, well, passes all the tests <laughs> in a way. So I yeah, kind of I encourage mean... lawyers to participate in this discussion, but not only from the point of view, what are the fallacies and, and the problems with AI? Well, right. And I mean, and, and truly, when we're talking about legal tech writ large in terms of, um, you know, tools that lawyers are using, you know, corporate, corporate lawyers, litigation, um, you know, high impact, um, high stakes kind of corporate uh, business law. Um, I think that um, it's very clear, at least to me, that if that lawyers who don't have at least a line of sight into how to incorporate this are risking mm -hmm. total irrelevance, not far from now. Yeah. Um, I don't think the work is going away. I, I think the work is going to be done very different. And I think we need to, this is a whole other podcast probably, but I mean, yeah. we, need, we need to train, <laughs> we need to train future lawyers differently. We yeah. need to 
focus on completely different business models. Um, yeah. And all that good stuff. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Also, it is coming. But the one thing I hate about the AI um, discussion is the fact, I mean, all the screaming headlines like AI is going to steal lawyer jobs. Oh, I do hope so. And I want to make a lawyer <laughs> whose job is only about the law. Because, I mean, we yeah. all do a lot of admin mm. tasks oh, and yeah. other stuff that doesn't require mm. legal education. Good so point. I'm really hoping that AI will be there someday <laughs> to do those things for me so I could concentrate <laughs> on the legal side. Well, exactly. In fact, I wrote an article some years ago about how now is a really great time to be an early career lawyer. Yeah. Um, because you get to leapfrog so much of the drudgery that defined these early years um, of legal practice and defined mm. many, many of my early years as, as a practicing lawyer. Um, mm. You know, that being said, the, the future is for those who understand the impact and are, are willing to, you know, incorporate it seamlessly and, and become um, experts in, you know, a, 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 even more, probably, I, I feel like uh, lawyers who are going to be the most successful in the future will be those who are, you know, very specialized in a certain area and can, can really, you know, adapt that expertise and leverage, leverage technology to deliver it um, to clients that are expecting it. Yeah, the whole tech discussion is really interesting. Um, I talked to some law students a few weeks ago, and I mean, I was expecting that people who are born in 2000s, they are, I mean, basically, I thought that they were born with a mobile phone and a laptop on their hands. But then uh, during the discussion, turned out that they are actually really worried about the future. And the fact that if they were even thinking, like, should they even graduate from the law school? Because there's going to be AI, there's going to be technology. Oh, really? And... Yes, that was really scary, actually, and thought-provoking because of course that makes me scared that, too. Yeah, like okay, those millennials <laughs> saying that love the future legal <laughs> profession because it's all about tech. Mm. But it made me think that um, maybe as an industry, we have failed um, in explaining what legal tech is all about and what it can do, and then somehow I think we should actually focus. Um, on the side, what lawyers can do with the help of technology instead of saying like, oh, technology is going to do this and this. But it made me think that um, I think law schools should really start teaching technology, legal tech, something just to make yeah. lawyers more future proved. Yeah. Practical legal tech skills. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. yes. I mean, you. I, I simply could not agree more. Um, and I think that, well, first of all, I know it's um, really hard to get into the law school um, yeah. in Helsinki. So I think that um, for one thing, um, you know, people try for many years to, to get in, which is just, I mean, so intense. Um, and then once they're in, right, they're probably just trying to do the, the, the known path. Um, yeah attorney and but at the same time you know if and it sounds like they're very um the students that you spoke to are very uh, aware of the fact that um potentially yeah. the, now and I don't know this but I'm assuming because it's the case with many um American law schools as well 
is that they they're starting what they're nervous about is not necessarily practicing law, but the fact that they're not going to graduate mm-hmm. um, equipped because yeah. the curriculum is not covering it. Exactly. And there are a few, yeah, I mean, there are several um, law schools in the states that are starting to do that and have have pretty robust programs. Um, but that being said, um, I, I, the word has not yet trickled down all the way to, I think, applicants. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Who are who are unless you're you know incredibly savvy and probably have worked um, in business um, or even a law firm before you apply to go back um, and you know would know that these are the kind of skills you really need to be looking for and you need to go to a, a an academic institution that's going to prepare you for that. I think right now the legal industry is in a very strange um, moment. I mean, it's not like in the last ten years at least where you know there are very traditional um folks at the in the decision making positions at law firms and it's a very kind of kind of as they say ivory tower kind of approach Mm. just an elite kind of thing and then there are those who are approaching law school um with a very different with very different set of needs for to be equipped to deal at the from the very from the from the outset and to be hireable um, and I also think that with respect to um, that, even I've talked to many students who are thinking about going into it, but they, but they, for the first time, I hear more and more people who want a law degree that don't intend to practice law at all. And actually there are yeah. you know, more and more career paths opening up um, to use your legal degree, not as a practicing lawyer, um, you know, like working at a legal tech company or working in legal operations, um, in-house or, um, you know, being, a, a legal engineer. So there are a lot of new things coming out there that people are very interested in. Um, but I think there's definitely still a disconnect because they they are very nervous. And I think they're looking more and more for like summer programs or th- ways that they can boost their yeah. um, their expertise to stand out in a field that is looking at basically how how well, how familiar will you be with chat GPT when mm. you get out of law school to help you do first drafts? Or, you know, do you understand the risks behind that? Do you understand like the, the obligations to the client? Personally, I think that, on the on the obligation to the client side <laughs> that there's actually a duty of being aware of those of the way to use yeah, yeah. and Absolutely. not and not as a as a roadblock right so so i mean i think i have i i have a lot i'm very optimistic actually i think it is going to be a different landscape but i do think that for those that come through it knowing that knowing that um that that's what they want to do that 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 I I believe they're going to carry the 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 profession forward much more quickly than we have so far. <laughs> Hopefully. Um <laughs> the startups that are concentrating on justice tech at the moment are of course private companies but um the justice system is created of course by societies and governments. And um as we all know, there are so many problems in the current legal system and there are many private companies and individuals like us trying to solve them. 
of course, there are some officials involved to some extent. But what do you think, Maya? Did we see more involvement from the officials, for example, in developing justice tech? Yes, I, that's a short answer. <laughs> uh, um, I absolutely think so. I mean, I think that, uh, like I said before, we all need to pull together to um, to resolve, uh, to even make the smallest dent in this yeah. you know, massive. I mean, there are six billion people in the world that cannot access their rights. I mean, that there's it's no crazy. target market, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's true. There are, it, I think one of the challenges is that, um, people's experience with the justice system can take so many different forms in terms of the, their, their inability to access their rights, right? I mean, it can be on the criminal side, it can be on the yeah. civil side, it can be in small claims, it can be bankruptcy, it can be uh, refugee um, assistance. I mean, there are just so many uh, immigration, you know, I mean, you just, and so it's, so it's necessarily kind of sliced up a bit that way. I, what I do see is I, I do see some um, really bright uh, uh, glimmers of hope in the sense that um, there are things like um, there's a new program, for example, um, run by Jason Tache in the in the United States at Georgetown University Law School called the Judicial Innovation Fellowship, uh, where they're bringing together um, uh, early career folks to address the 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 need for innovation in the just in the judiciary um and in the court systems uh via technology and making that an appealing place for people to go with technology background as opposed to you know a big tech startup um i think there's also uh, the 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 roadblock i think in many situations and by the way i do not see this as much in in other countries and in, in helsinki in particular and i i see much more of a willingness and openness yeah. to figure out how to make these systems and workflows and processes and kind of these these daily hurdles that people have to go through um, uh, easier and more understandable. Um, yeah. But it definitely takes the um, the buy-in from from the government on whatever kind of slice of it you're talking about. And that can be very difficult to get their attention uh, because mm -hmm. they are potentially, you know, underfunded. Um, they may consider that there could potentially be um, conflict of interest if they're kind of throwing their hat in the ring with a, with one specific technology provider versus um, kind of being more agnostic. Um, but um, in the places where I do see um, people working with governments. I mean, Margaret Hagan is a great example. She's mm -hmm. been working on the eviction, um, the kind of the crisis that we're yeah. having here. And she's got a lot of states and, and, and municipalities on board to figure out a way to kind of implement these, these potential changes. Um, as, as you know, I mean, and it's, it's so urgent that we need to get going. Right. But I mean, Wherever there is an opportunity to work with, um, you know, it, I, I always think, I always tell people Helsinki is exactly, um, it is basically an incubator of a city, you know, I mean, yeah. and the whole country of Finland is, 
is essentially, you know, an accelerator, right? So, like, so I mean, there are ways to <laughs> deploy that. I mean, I'm very, I mean, I'm very bullish on on Finland in general. But um, uh, the more we see of that, the 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 faster these things will go. Otherwise, there will forever be a disconnect beca- between kind of academic, yeah, you know, kind of the the academic mm-hmm. pursuit of designing something that could be a lot different and better and it's so obvious and you know the lack of bandwidth or interest to actually implement it in the in the societies and governments that we're talking about so yeah it's it's moving slower than i would like but um but (laughs) it's moving (laughs) but but I, i mean the more the more the more we can do that the better Hey, um, thank you so much, Maya, for visiting us. And we really hope to see you in Helsinki soon again, hopefully in September. One last question, though. We all have different methods for dealing with work-related stress. What's your secret weapon? How do you like to relax? Sauna, of course. <laughs> um, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> as often as possible <laughs> yeah yeah that helps yeah and actually i can tell you that we live in here in atlanta and we have a sound tent in our backyard so <laughs> many americans yes. don't don't necessarily have their own sound as most finnish people do but we have our portable sound tent so <laughs> i can send that to california maya if you want to t- Test drive yes, it. <laughs> you need all the accessories, though. You need yeah. the appropriate finish accessories. It's, yeah, it's so wonderful. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to chat with both of you. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Legal Design Podcast. This was our episode with Maya Markovic. For more info, check out our website legaldesignpodcast.com or our social media channels on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram.